it's always awkward when I come up too soon and the video is still playing behind me. Um, or when it plays twice, it's always awkward uh, when we do that. Listen, I'm really glad that you're here today, uh, and we're going to be continuing our series in James. So before we jump into that, would you pray with me? Um, I, want, I know we prayed a lot today, but I like praying. I like asking God for help, so we're going to do it again. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we want to worship you, and we want to know you, and we want to encounter you through the word. And so God, I pray that during this time right now, as we continue to worship, God, I'm asking, would you help me to teach? Would you help us all to listen? We want you to be lifted up and glorified. We want you to be rightly known. So, guys, we look at this. I pray we would really hear you. And I do. I'm asking, would you give all of us, including me, tender hearts to hear what you would say to each and every single one of us through your word. God, don't let us have hard hearts. God, help us not to be um, stubborn and resistant to what you would say to us. I pray we would be soft and tender and worshipful and loving of you and obedient. I pray you would do that by, by your gospel work in us. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, listen, uh, this morning as we get started, I want to tell you about an Arabic relative I had named Uncle Abu Wa'el. Now, I'm sure none of you have an uncle named Abu Wa'el, especially when there's an Abu in the front of it. Like, you're like, I don't know if this is Aladdin or what's kind of going on. But Uncle Abu Wa'el, he wasn't actually my uncle, but in Arabic culture, everyone's a cousin or uncle. He was like a second or third cousin to my grandparents. But Uncle Abu Wa'el was a 90-something-year-old man. He was hilarious, and he was really wise and really loving. And the first time I met Uncle Abu Wa'el, which I'm going to have a hard time saying every single time, the first time I met him was at a relative's funeral. I, I was visiting Jordan, and one of our relatives passed away. And uh, I meet this, this old man who is a very funny Arabic man. You, sh- you should just know this. Um, and we're at this funeral, and we're greeting everyone that comes in. Now, now look, I, I know my name is Faiz Ayyub. I know I had an Arabic dad. But it doesn't matter how Arabic my dad was. When you drop me in the middle of Jordan at a funeral, I am not comfortable, okay? It's not like my happy place. It didn't feel comfortable. It didn't feel natural. But I'm greeting every single one of these Arabic men. And tons of Arab men are walking in. And lots of kisses. Like we're just kissing and kissing and kissing over. And all I'm doing is kissing strangers for like an hour. And I'm cracking jokes with Uncle Abu Wa'el. And he's like, listen, I need to teach you how to greet them in Arabic. It's going to make them, them less nervous around you. So he's teaching me an Arabic phrase. So I'm practicing it. He's like, all right, do it. So the next guy that comes in, I spout off some Arabic phrase, and immediately the guy's face was like, what did you just say to me? Like, and I was like, oh man, Uncle Abu Wa'el got me. Like, and he hops in, they're all screaming in Arabic, things kind of calm down, and apparently I said something about a goat and his mom, and I don't know exactly what I said, but it was not the right time to be telling jokes. It just wasn't. It was an inappropriate time, and it wasn't fair. I could have, who knows what that Arab man would have done to me if I insulted his family that way. So I'm like, Uncle Abel, you can't do that to me, man. Like, that's totally inappropriate. So he's laughing, and he pulls me aside, and just like Uncle Abu Wa'el would do, he would start cracking jokes, and then he would follow on this rant of wisdom. So he pulled me aside, and he found out I was in, engaged to Kim, and he, he spouts off, he's like, there's an old Arab proverb, and he spouts off this Arabic phrase, which I don't have any idea what he says. And I have someone next to me, and they translate, and they, said, uh, they start laughing. He, goes, he says, first night, kill the cat. And I was like, first night, kill the cat? Like, what in the world are you talking about? And he's like, the first night, you kill the cat. You find her cat, you kill it, so she knows you're in charge. 
And uh, now at this point, I'm not falling for it. And so I say, is that, I'm going to go talk to your wife, is that what you did? He goes, are you crazy? No. No one in their right mind ever does anything like that. He goes, but let me tell you this. And then he started down his rant of wisdom. And it wasn't like a logical rant. It was this thing where he goes, listen, you need to love your wife and care for your wife. You need to be really gentle with her. You need to forgive each other because, listen, you're going to fight. And when you fight, it's going to be tough. You're going to come home for dinner, and there's not going to be a good conversation. You'd have a better conversation with the chair and the wall than you will with your wife on that night. But you need to forgive each other a lot and quickly. And he says, and, and, and don't be bitter. Don't get mad about stuff. And then he expands it some more. And be nice to people. Be nice to everyone. Don't talk bad about people. Forgive them when they do something wrong. Even if they do something wrong to you, don't talk bad about them. Always say nice things about people. And he would go off on this rant. And he did it over and over and over again. And, and the reason I'm telling that this morning is because when Uncle Abu Wa'el talked, it was like talking to an old sage that had his set of wisdom that he was just going to give to me and just... He was going to let it rip. It wasn't like point one, point two, point three. It was a flow of thought that pivoted on different ideas. And that's exactly what's happening in the flow of thought of James chapter 1. It's like sitting down with Uncle Abu Wael and, and hearing from Pastor James about what he wants his people to know as they're going in the midst of suffering. It's, it's not logical like Paul. It pivots on words. And so here's what James has done so far in James chapter 1. Here's what he's done. He says this. Listen, you, can, you should consider trials a good thing because God is growing you so that you won't be lacking. Speaking of lacking, if you lack wisdom, ask God. And he'll get, but don't ask with doubting. Doubters are unstable and won't get anything. Speaking of not having anything, then you, when you don't have anything, boast about what Jesus gives you in your standing. Don't ba- boast about your money. That will all go away suddenly when you die. Speaking of dying... When you die, God will reward you for being faithful in trials. And speaking of trials, listen, trials bring temptation. And God is not the one tempting you. God doesn't give temptation. He gives good things. That's what James has just done to you. I hope that flow of thought helped make sense. In James chapter 1, that's the flow of thought of what James has been doing. And we're going to pick up in the middle of this conversation with James when he just said, God doesn't tempt you with evil. He gives good things. Let's read our verses for today. James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. He says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's, that's a little section of the sage Pastor James that we're listening to uh, today. I can't say sage James because it just rhymes too much and I, I'm not a good poet. Anyways, listen, I think there's a three or four things that James has told us right now about suffering that we didn't need to know in those verses. Verse 16, let me read it to you again. He starts off with this. Do not be deceived. He's telling his people right in the middle of suffering, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't let yourself be deceived and fooled into thinking the wrong thing. Because immediately as I read that, I'm asking this question. What is James concerned that people who are suffering are going to be deceived about? Right? He just said, don't be deceived. What does he want them not to be deceived in? We'll look at the, verse, the very next verse, verse 17. He says this. 
Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Spend some time chewing on that. Here's what James is saying. Don't be deceived. And here's, here's the antidote to the deception you're about to, to hear. Here's the antidote. Here's the truth to the lie you might be deceived by. The truth is God gives all sorts of good things. So I'm asking myself this question. Was it he, what is he concerned that will happen in suffering that will deceive me? And here's what I think it is. I think point one is this. James is concerned that suffering can blind you and me to all the blessings of God. James is concerned that suffering can blind us. Listen, I, I think this is true. When, when you think about that, as pain and suffering increases, there comes more temptation with it. And as all of that happens, it gets more and more of our attention. And all we're thinking about and thinking about and looking at and dealing with is our suffering and our trials and our temptation. And as all that stuff increases, our, our attention gets more and more focused on that. And it can easily become the only thing that we see. It becomes the lens that we're seeing everything with. We, we interpret everything around us through the pain that we are experiencing. You ever done that before? And when we do that, if we're not careful, we can be deceived into thinking some things about God. We can be deceived into thinking God is cruel, that he's uncaring. In the midst of it, we can miss all of the kindness and goodness of God. And James doesn't want them to miss the fact that God is kind and he's giving good things. And when we're suffering, it's even easy to be deceived and think that God is cruel and harsh and difficult. And when it starts to sink into your heart, here's some of the things you begin to feel. You can feel isolated. You feel like you're all alone. You ever felt that? I don't know how you respond to suffering, but you feel like you are the only one that there's no one with you, there's no one next to you, that the only way you're going to get out of this is if you get yourself out of it. You are all alone. It's isolating. And as you let these, this deception sink in in the midst of suffering, if you're not careful, you'll begin to feel isolated. If you're not careful, you'll begin to feel hopeless. Like there is no way out of this. There's no end to this. There is no reward on the other side. It feels like this is how things will always be. You begin to feel isolated. You begin to feel hopeless. And sometimes you just get gloomy. Everything around you is miserable. Nothing is good. Can, can any of y'all identify with that? I mean, I, I feel like, I, I feel that all the time. Like, like all the time when I'm looking, like for example, right now, I have six kids at home. Every weekend, I have five kids. Some kid has some kind of crazy disease in my house. Like, they are always sick, and my wife is always at home watching kids. And if we're not careful, we will define our entire life about the sickness that our kids are going through. Like, it's, it's difficult. Proverbs says a few things about what happens to your heart if you let your heart start to get sick and be weighed down by all this stuff. Listen to these verses. Proverbs 15, 13 says this. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. He also says this in Proverbs 18, 14. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? Listen, when you're in the midst of suffering and hardship and temptation, if you're not careful, there's a lie. that There's a deception that will come into your heart and it will begin to crush you on the inside. It'll, it'll crush your spirit. It'll weigh you down. It'll take you to very dark places about God. You begin to believe not just that your situation is bad, but you begin to believe maybe God is bad. 
Maybe God is uncaring. Maybe God is distant, or, or maybe even worse, not just that, uh, that he doesn't care or he's not able to do anything. What if he's actually cruel and heartless? Maybe he's a monster. Listen, when you're in the midst of suffering, you need to know that your heart is vulnerable to a lie about God. The lie is he doesn't care. The lie is that he isn't able. The lie is that he's not close. Listen, God does care. He does see. And he is able to do something about it. And he is right next to us. Listen, be careful, church. When we enter suffering, remember there's also a lie and deception that comes if we're not careful in the midst of our suffering that blinds us to the kindness and goodness of God. The second thing that James says here about that, not just that suffering can blind you, but look at this, verse 17a. Look at what it says about God. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. I love this because what he's saying is this. Like, listen, it's not just that there's a lie that blinds you. You're going to miss this, that here is God. God is really good and God is really generous and he's really kind. And he is always, he is always sending you and I kindness and good gifts. He's, he's always doing that. Every day, all the time. And if you're not careful, you will miss those things. Let me give you a few of the things he might be giving you. Like, you might be thinking something different, but, but think about this. Every morning the sun rises and God creates sunrises. And every evening he creates beautiful sunsets. He's, he's always doing that. Every day he gives rain and wind and sunshine. He gives breath and beauty and friendship and family. He gives us all sorts of moments. He is always being kind to us. I, I think it's Matt Chandler. I, I looked for this thing. I couldn't find it, but I think it was Matt Chandler. Uh, he gives this illustration about the kindness of God, and of course it involves food. That's what I'm going to do every week. He's, he makes this point that food tastes really, really good. Like, like, think about this. You and I need food to survive. And if God was, could care less, it says something about God that he makes food taste good. If he wanted it to taste bland and boring, he could have given us cardboard to eat. He could have made everything that we needed to survive taste like tofu. We'll go back to that one, right? It could all be bland and boring and dull, and you just have to eat it to survive. But that's not what God did. He made it taste good, sometimes too good. The food that you and I need to survive, we like the taste of it. He made it pleasurable and enjoyable. Think about what that says about the kindness of God. That in the morning you wake up and you're groggy. He gave us coffee. Maybe you don't like coffee. But he gave you Snickers creamer, what was out there this morning, in your coffee to make it taste even better. He gave us cinnamon rolls with awesome icing. I should probably use better foods that are better for us. But God, God has been richly kind to us in every detail of our life, even the smallest things like food tasting good. Listen, church, I want you to remember not just that your suffering comes with deception, but I want you to see all the goodness and kindness around you all the time that God has given you. And in suffering... You can easily miss all of those things. Now, now, now I want to hit pause real quick because here's what's going on in my head. In my mind, I pictured this won't be you, but just in case someone's suffering and a church person coming next to them and making some kind of comment like, listen, I know you're having a hard time, but look on the bright side. This is not that. 
That's not, I believe, what James is saying. James is not doing this self-righteous approach to someone in suffering, saying, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. I don't think it's a trite little thing. God tells us how to come alongside people who are suffering. He says to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. So church, what I don't want you to do is go to the person suffering next to you and say, listen, it's good, don't be sad, smile. That's that's not the point. The point is when someone's in deep suffering, you come alongside of them and you weep with them and then you remind them, you fight the lie by saying God sees and God cares and God's with you. You fight the lie with that and what, what I want for you is not to beat people down with the truth that God is good. I want us to pray for people's hearts and suffering to see very, very clearly, no, God is really showing us kindness. Church, when you're in suffering, I do want you to look up, and I want you to see, I want you to see, I want you to have a heart of a worshiper that is just looking for a reason to worship God for all the good things that he's given you, even in the midst of the worst trials you've ever experienced in your life. He can do that. He, he can do a work in your heart that you can worship him and praise him and see the thousands and thousands of good things that he is always giving all the time. But, but there's something else. It reminds me a little bit, because here's what I love what, what James did here. James didn't just say, look at all the good things that God gave. Look at what he says. He talks about who God is, verse 17. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And he, does, he says, coming down from the Father of lights, and then he turns it. Let me tell you what God is like. It says, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Then he goes to the gospel. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. He, here's what I think James is saying. Listen, don't be deceived. That comes with trials. God is giving you tons of good things. And one of the good things he wants us to know is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ, I think the thing is what he's saying, that God never changes, and if, well, I'm going to build the argument there. I'm getting ahead of myself. Like, here's the thing, was, God never changes. He's steady and he's consistent. He uses this phrase there that there's no variation. We know what that means, but it says, or shadow due to change. Here's the picture I think James is doing. In the ancient times, they would have these sundials. Um, I almost got a picture, but I decided not to do that because I didn't feel like doing that this week. But they would do these sundials, and the way they would kind of tell the time what's going on is as the sun would slowly move throughout the day, that sundial shadow would move so you could see what the time was. And here's what I think James is saying. God never changes. There's not even the smallest hint of change. I mean, the sun looks steady, but the change is slowly moving. God's not like that. Like if you look at him, he stays in the same place, the same way all the time. He's not moving incrementally. And if you come back in an hour, there's a shift. God is the same. He's always the same. He's always steady. And here's what that means. No matter how much the world rises and falls, no matter how much the stock market goes up and down, no matter how many rulers get put in place and how many rulers lose their spot, no matter how many wars no matter how many Supreme Court issues that are going on, no matter, what, no matter what new laws happen, no matter what riots happen, no matter what revolts happen, no matter what happens, God is always steady. He's always the same. He's always ruling on the throne. He is steady. He's the same always, day after day after day after day, and year after year and decade and century and millennium. God has been the same for eternity past. He's the same today, and he will always always be the same unchanging ruler of the universe no matter what changes around us he doesn't change 
So why is that good news? Well, let me remind you of the gospel. Here's what the gospel says. The gospel is that God sent his son Jesus to pursue you and I. That his stance towards you and I while we're in rebellion is one of saying, listen, I want to adopt you. I want to bring you into the family. And I'm inviting you into relationship with me. I'm offering to clean you and make you whole. And I'm not asking you to work for it or to earn it. I'm telling you, my son did all the work for you. His stance towards you and I is one of mercy. When we deserve judgment, he sent Jesus. His stance towards you and I is grace. He didn't just send Jesus a little bit. He lavishes us with tons of grace over and over and over again. His stance towards you and I is for us. And if his stance towards you and I on the cross was one of grace and mercy and leaning into you and I and pursuing you and I and saying, I love you and I want you. If his stance for, was for us 2,000 years ago, guess what that means his stance towards us is today? It's the same. He's gracious and he's merciful and he's for us. His stance towards you and I never, ever changes. And when you're in suffering and you start to lose sight of that and you, you're missing it and you're missing all the blessings, I want you to remember this, that his stance doesn't ever change. He's still gracious towards you. He's still tender. He's still loving. He's still merciful. He still cares deeply about you and I. No matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, he is still smiling at us. And I don't know if I always believe that in the midst of suffering. I think what I believe in suffering is either that God doesn't care or that I deserve it. That my stance is, listen, I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but I screwed up big time. So now he is just going to take every ounce out of me. He's going to make me pay him back for all the mistakes that I made. And the Bible says that God's stance towards us in Jesus is that Jesus paid the full price and you and I stand redeemed and clean in front of God. He's not punishing us. He may be purifying us, but he's not taking out of our hide. He's not vindictive towards us. He judged Jesus for all of our sin. That is his stance towards us when we get saved, and it will never, ever change. That's good news for us in suffering. And then here's the final thing that I love that James did. He didn't just say, hey, you might be deceived. Be careful. Don't be deceived. Hey, God is taking care of you. He sees you. His stance, he's unchanging. He's always giving good things. He's saying, he don't be deceived. God gives good things. He's He's not changing towards us, but then he does this thing that I really love. I started to get ahead of myself, and it was this. When he points about who God is, he says, listen, God gives all these gifts, and he says, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Here's what I like about what James did. He takes the gift, and he says, you know what? It's not just the gift that I fall in love with. He looks at all the good things that God gives, and he goes, isn't that just like God? He takes it to his person. He turns it into worship, not just a head knowledge that God is kind and nice, he turns to this moment and saying, no, that's who he is. It's, it's a moment of worship. Here's, here's why that matters for us. I think sometimes if we're not careful, we begin to look at the good news of Jesus. We look at the blessings and we fall in love with all the good things that God gives us. And we start to miss what that tells us about who God is and what he's like. We're not people who are worshipers. We become consumers of him. And I started chewing on that and thinking about it a little bit this week. And here was the illustration that popped into my mind. Um, I started thinking about my wife in marriage, and, and here's one of the things that stands out to me. Uh, 
when I got married to my wife, I got a wedding ring. Um, I'm assuming you all did that. But let me tell you what my wedding ring is supposed to do for me. My wedding ring reminds me about my wife and our relationship and our covenant relationship. And every time I look at that ring, it's supposed to be a constant reminder for me. I'm looking at it saying, listen, man, my wife is awesome. I remember why I married her, why, why, what it was like when we got engaged, when we were dating. I remember the covenant that we made. This is supposed to be a constant reminder, not of an awesome little piece of silver or whatever this thing is. It's supposed to be a reminder of a person that's behind that ring. It's supposed to remind me of the person that gave it to me, of the relationship I'm in with them, not falling in love with the ring. I'm not supposed to say, man, I love that ring. This ring is great. I love what it's made of. I love that it's shiny. I love that it makes a cool noise when I tap it on stuff. I love to fiddle with it. I really love my ring. It is my precious. It's the one to rule them all. Um, That's not what I'm supposed to do with my ring. My ring is not supposed to be the thing that I love. My ring is a reminder of the person that I love. And if what my wife did with our engagement ring is all she did is says, I love that, that diamond so amazing. Look at this diamond. Look at the bling. Look at how awesome this thing is. I love my ring. I love my ring. I love my ring. I, there would be a point like, hey, uh, that's awesome. I'm glad you love the ring. Uh, remember me? Right? N- none of us would feel loved by that. And here's what I, I think is awesome about James. James is taking this moment. We're saying, listen, think about all the good things that God's given you, not to love those things, but to love the person who's giving you those things. And church, in the midst of your suffering, you can be deceived to thinking God doesn't care, that he's distant. And you can try to be shallow and only look at the good things, but you can see those blessings and see the God who's behind those good things. You can see the God who's saying, listen, I'm generous and I'm kind and I'm merciful. And in terms of like, listen, he never changes and his stance towards me never changes. That's the point that James is saying today to his people in suffering. And so here's my question for you. As you're in suffering, I don't know what y'all are experiencing right now, But listen, have you been blinded to all the blessings of God? Have you missed it? It's not, I confess that this is probably the one I think I stumble on the most. I I can be dealing with stuff at the church and what will happen is I will get focused on the two things that aren't going right and it will taint the whole thing. And I will miss every single one of the things that God is doing in some of your hearts that are in here. And it will blind me all the blessings that I have because I'm focused on the two things that are going wrong. Listen, are you remembering that God is always giving you good things? Or do you have a heart of a worshiper who's constantly looking for a reason to praise God for every tiny little thing that he shows you, every type of kindness? Do do you have confidence in the fact that God is steady and unchanging? Listen, and are you letting the gifts that he gives you lead you to him as the worshiper? Uh, Church, I pray for us that we be a people as we endure suffering, we wouldn't be deceived. We'd see his kindness. We'd see him as the giver. We'd see him as unchanging. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Listen, today I want to guide us in the time of response. And here's my question for you. If you're suffering, has your suffering deceived you? Listen, if you feel like you've lost sight of his kindness and his goodness, take a moment right now and ask him to help you, uh, take a moment to worship him. Worship him for being generous and for never changing. Have you been thinking that God is mean or uncaring or distant? 
take a moment to call you to believe what the gospel says about Jesus. Believe that he's for you. Believe that he's gracious. Believe that he's merciful. Believe that he's close. Christian, for some of you, you may have never trusted in Jesus. We talk about this good news, about this gospel, and I just want to remind you what the gospel is. The gospel is that you and I were enemies, that we were broken, that we were in rebellion, and that God, instead of giving us the judgment we deserve, sent his son. He died on a cross for our sins, and he came back to life three days later. Listen, he offers us this salvation. He says, if you'll just place your trust in Jesus, if you'll believe that he sent his son to die for you and ask him to save you, if you'll believe that, he says he'll make you new and give you a new heart and adopt you. He'll make you a son or daughter. Listen, church, he offers us deep relationship. And if you've never placed your trust in him, he doesn't say you have to earn it. doesn't say you have to be good. You just have to trust and ask him to believe. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you today right there in your seat. Would you ask him to save you and change you? Church, if you know someone that's, that is currently in suffering, would you remind them sometime this week that God sees, that God cares, and that God's close? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I pray as we continue to worship in response to you, I'm praying that you would do a work in our hearts. I pray that we'd be a people that would not be deceived in suffering, that we would see all the good things that you give. We'd see them as coming from you.